Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Laura here. Before we get started, a couple quick notes. First, upon listening to this episode, there were two points where I wanted to ask Charlie some follow-up questions that I didn't think of during the recording. He agreed to answer those by email, so check out the show notes for his responses to those questions. You can also find them on unchainedpodcast.com in the newsletter section. Second note, if you're like me, maybe you think about crypto all day, but have no one to talk about it with in your real life. Yes, this describes my situation. My friends are, at best, marginally interested. Or maybe you're lucky enough to have some real-life friends who find crypto fascinating and like to talk about it. Either way, bring yourself or your like-minded buddies to a crypto workshop that I'm teaching with Melton Demirs of CoinShares and Jalak Joban Putra of Future Perfect Ventures. From September 20th to 22nd, we'll be at the 250-acre Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, doing yoga, eating healthy food, hiking, getting spa treatments, enjoying the outdoors, and, of course, talking crypto. It's great to see some of you have already signed up. If you haven't yet, check out the show notes for the link. I hope to see you all there. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Unchained is now on YouTube. You can find the most recent episodes there every week on the Unchained podcast channel, and we'll soon be getting the full archive up. Also, if you're not yet subscribed to my weekly newsletter, go now to unchainedpodcast.com to sign up. Coindesk, the number one media outlet for all things blockchain and crypto, is hosting Consensus, its annual event in New York City. Tickets are on sale now at www.consensus2019.com. That's Consensus with a U, and you can save $300 if you use promo code UNCHAINED300. CypherTrace makes it easy for exchanges and crypto businesses to comply with cryptocurrency anti-money laundering laws, avoid illegal sources of funds, and maintain healthy banking relationships. CypherTrace is helping you grow the crypto economy by keeping it safe and secure. My guest today is Charlie Lee, the creator of Litecoin. Welcome, Charlie. Hey, thanks, Laura. Thanks for having me. You found out about Bitcoin when it was $2. How did you hear about it and what were your initial thoughts? Well, actually, I found out about Bitcoin when it was 30 um, and then it oh. dropped it too over the next oh. year. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Well, yeah. you so know, I, got in, I, guess... I got in at a, at a high. <laughs> well, you learned very early how this, this type of money operates, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's extremely volatile. So yeah, how did you hear about it? And like, did you immediately grasp it? Or were you skeptical at first? Or or what? Yeah, I heard about it from reading an article on Silk Road. I believe it was a Wired article. And it was talking about like how the Silk Road drug marketplace only accepted Bitcoin. And I, I pretty much immediately understood the value of Bitcoin and what it's all about. Because I've previously been quite into gold. And I saw like the the need of sound money and how fiat currency is is just broken. And when I saw Bitcoin, I saw that this is like gold, but better, right? It's like gold where you can instantly send it to someone on the other side of the country for very low fees. That's so interesting. I feel like you're, you know, maybe the like 10% of people that say that they immediately grasped it because I feel like the, 90, the other 90% are just like, oh, I first at first dismissed it. <laughs> But it sounds like you were sort of primed. Yeah, I think I had I just had the background and also with the background in computer science, I can actually dig into the code and see what it's doing, right? Oh right. And I know so previously you worked at Google. Is that where you were working at that time? Yeah. I worked at Google for six years. And what were you doing there? Uh let's see, I worked on YouTube Mobile, uh Chrome OS, and also Google Play Games. All right. And so you found out about Bitcoin and it was, I guess, 2011? Uh, yeah, April of 2011, I believe. 
So how did you buy your Bitcoins at that time? Um, the first Bitcoin I bought, I actually bought from Mike Hearn. So at Google, Mike Hearn was one of the kind of well-known guys who was into Bitcoin at that time. And he was talking about Bitcoin all the time. And I reached out to him and I guess learned a bit about Bitcoin from him and bought my first Bitcoin at $30 from him. Oh, I see. Okay. So you read about it, but then through your work, you realized, oh, there are other people here who are into this. Yeah, there were and then, th only like a few, right? Mike Hearn was one of the bigger ones. Okay. And for people who don't know, he's a former Bitcoin Core developer who famously left the project uh, with this blog post that was also written about in the New York Times. And he talked about how Bitcoin was broken and um, and sold all of his Bitcoins. And then he went to work uh, at R3, right? Is he still working there? Do you know? I don't know. I haven't kept in touch with him. But it was funny because he he famously rage quit from Bitcoin, right? <laughs> <laughs> he was so upset that Bitcoin, he thought Bitcoin needed to scale on chain and it wasn't, the community wasn't like, didn't think the same way and he kind of just rage quit. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit because I, I, I actually don't think he's, he was maybe the first like big one, but there have been others. So at that time, like you got your Bitcoin and then what, what did you do? Like, what was the early Bitcoin scene like? And, you know, did you just kind of think, oh, I'll just hold on to this for a little while? Or, you know, what were your thoughts? Mm, my thoughts pretty early on was that this is something going to be something big. So I was thinking like if um, as an investment, I think it was it would be like a very good investment. Um, of course, you, you just don't know because it's like so new and it's kind of like investing in a startup, right? Like if you if you had a chance to invest in Google pre-IPO, it would have been a huge, like one of the best invest investments ever. But it's hard to, really hard to know that Google would become the Google of today, like way back in 1999 or 2000, right? So same thing with Bitcoin, right? I saw it like it had huge potential. I really saw the potential in it and I kind of really want to get involved. I mean, in the, back in 2011, like everyone was, everyone in this space was taught, like chatting on Bitcoin talk forums, right? And that was like one of the main sites where people talk about Bitcoin all the time and talk about different projects. So you would just like troll the forums or not, you know, but you would, you would, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, you know, you would browse the forums and just converse with people about like, what would you do on the forums? Um, talk about different, like, I also like started mining, right? Just a lot of people talking about how like the different kind of setups, how to mine, which pools to use, um, different pool algorithms. Um, yeah, just everything, right? Including like collecting physical Bitcoins, for example, Casatius coins came out, I think around that time. And that was a very, um, cool collectible you could get at the time. Also, I remember the first Bitcoin conference happened in uh, June of 2011 in New York. And basically who's who in Bitcoin, I mean, pretty much like everyone in that space just gathered in New York and just had a good time. Really? Who were some of the people who showed up at that? The first day, like the morning before the conference, I went to kind of... Um, an event and I met Roger Veer, um, Jesse Powell, uh, Michael Goniger. Yeah. Just basically people who are actually really well known today, but who was, who were probably like nobody back then. So Roger Veer was known early on as Bitcoin Jesus now is affiliated with Bitcoin cash and Jesse Powell is the CEO of Kraken. And who's Michael Goniger? He is now the CEO of Chainalysis. Oh, right, right, right. That's right. I did know that. I knew the name, but I couldn't remember. Yeah, he's not very um, out there. Um, right. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So, oh, I and also I want to ask about the mining. What did you use to, to mine the Bitcoin? Like a CPU or a GPU or what? Uh, when I found out about Bitcoin, it was already GPU. So I I built a couple computers, each with like four GPUs in them. So large ASIC, not sorry, not ASIC, large GPU cards, like sticking out of the computer. It's pretty crazy setup. And it was, gen it generates like so much heat. 
<laughs> and noise. Yeah, I actually, when your brother was on the show, your brother Bobby, who people should know, it's kind of just a funny detail that Bobby and I were in the same freshman dorm at Stanford. But we, we didn't really know each other that well. The, like the main thing I remembered about him was just he lived in the same hall as my friend. <laughs> so um, it, it was like a big dorm with like 250 kids in it or something. Yep. Um, but anyway, um, I was going to, oh, but no, I was going to say that he also said that he was mining it early and that it was like generating a ton of heat too. So yeah, I think it, I sold my mining computer to him when I was done uh, with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, he did or, say I it gave it show. to him. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he did say in the show that you were the one who introduced him. And then also when when it dropped from $30 to $2, what was your sense then? Like, were you still so convinced it would succeed? Yeah, I was because from my point of view, the fundamentals didn't change, right? So the price drop was just because it was overhyped. Um in the beginning and went up to 30. I think when it like broke dollar parity after it became more, more than a dollar, it went like pretty much straight to 30 and then it crashed down back to two. I realized that the fundamentals of Bitcoin hasn't changed. So it still has huge potential. So definitely wasn't worried. Um, but I was kind of enjoying myself just like mining and just playing around with it. I feel like you need to, um, I don't know, be, be like one of those investment advisors or something. And like, you just seem so calm and, and to have such a level head. And I wish other people would have the same reaction. It's kind of nice to hear. Yeah. I mean, the key is to not put everything in, right? Don't invest more than you can afford to lose. That's like the, the, <laughs> the tagline. Exactly. Exactly. For something, you know, super risky. All right. So before you started Litecoin, you also tried to at least as far as I could tell from what I read online, you try to revive a coin called Fairbricks, or maybe that was something you launched. I saw like different one post said that you try to revive it and one said you launched it. So what's, what's the story about Fairbricks? So the story about Fairbricks is there was a coin called Tenabricks that used the script mining algorithm and it's CPU mineable coin when it launched. Right. So the, problem with Tenebrix is it was launched by an anonymous person and he pre-mined 7 million coins for himself. So what that means is he's just, um, before, like for the, in the first block, he basically assigned 7 million coins to himself to an address he owned. And from that point onwards, people, everyone's mining like, I don't know, 10 or 20 coins a block. So if the, if the coin became successful, he would become like extremely rich. Right. And, People liked the coin because it was one of the, f like, uh, it was the first coin that was CPU mineable. Um, mm. So it brought back the CPU mining in the space. Uh, but then people weren't happy with the pre-mine. So someone had an idea of creating a coin called Fairbricks and the basically a fork of Tenebricks. And the only difference is that it won't have the pre-mine. Um, mm. So he needed technical help and I offered to help him technically. So wrote the code and uh, helped uh, launch the coin. The problem was that the code for Tenebricks was really buggy. And during the launch of Fairbricks, just lots of issues came up. Some of the blocks were mined without any coins. And it, I think the coin was also 51% attacked from the beginning. Um, so just lots of problems and kind of decided to give up on that, on that project. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like, that's another way in which you sort of like learned the lessons of this space very early, actually. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. De yeah, definitely. I mean, I was pretty, pretty into this space from the, from the beginning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. So then tell us, why did you create Litecoin? So after, after Fairbricks failed, right. Well, I didn't, didn't really fail. Just the launch was was a mess. I decided to kind of step back and and create a different coin, right? Start from instead of forking from Tenebrix's code, we'll fork from Bitcoin and modify a few things. So like with CPU mining, also with faster blocks, and launch something that is like as fair as possible. 
I realize people don't want to um, invest and put effort into a coin that is um, unfairly benefiting the creators, for example. And did you ever consider launching it anonymously the way that Satoshi did? Um, actually, when I when I launched it, I wasn't really, I wasn't a public figure, right? I wasn't publicly known. It wasn't publicly known who was behind the the username on Bitcoin Talk Forum, right? So Which I went by the C-O-B-L-E. user ID of yeah, Cobbly C O B L E E, and I didn't come out until like a few years later that with my real identity. When I started going to like Bitcoin conferences and kind of revealing myself, that's when I came out. Oh wow! So, and was that like a decision that you were like, okay, I'm I'm not going to be anonymous anymore, or? Um, kind of. There was a New York Times article. Um, the author reached out to me to kind of write a little bit about Litecoin, and at that point in time, I decided, yeah, for, that's fine. I'm okay with that, and to come out publicly. I think that was a point when I became publicly known. And why did you decide that rather than staying anonymous? Um, I don't know. Actually, I didn't think too much about it. I wasn't really trying to be anonymous. It's just that um, there was no need to be kind of public about who I was, about my real identity. I mean, in hindsight, it might have been better if I stayed anonymous. <laughs> there's, oh, definitely really? be- there's definitely benefits of being anonymous. And so, yeah, why do you say that? Like, what would the benefits have been? Just more privacy, right? I'm I'm definitely concerned about, like, privacy and security and people being upset about me or just people who think that I have a lot of money and want to, yeah, just, just concerned about that. Yeah, yeah. It's not the first time this week I'm having this conversation. I think it's on the minds of kind of all the prominent people in the space. And, and I'm sorry that you have to deal with that. I really think it's terrible that people uh, would target, you know, other people for their money, but it's the world we live in. Yeah. And it's also not just the fact that it's also, it's also the fear of being targeted, right? Maybe no one will ever target me. And that's, that's awesome if that, if that's the case, but then always living in kind of fear that you might be a target is, is just not that fun either. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I get it. Even in my own small way, uh, you know, I'm not like the actual people in the space, but yeah, like I wrote that big article about the phone hijackings that were going on and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, before I released that, everybody I interviewed was like, Oh, before you publish that, publish this, you should make sure all your security is, is, you know, buttoned up. And so I, I did that and, you know, I don't know what they would have gotten. It, it might've just been like something to just annoy me because they were irritated that I had exposed what they were doing, maybe something like that. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, like I, I totally get uh, how you feel. So actually let's keep talking about the fair launch uh, concept because so when you launched Litecoin, you only launched it with 150 coins pre-mined. So how did you, you know, decide? I was so it's like a tiny amount, but how did you decide on that? Like, and how did you, in general, like, how did you make it what you deemed fair? Yeah. So there's a funny story behind that. So the idea was to launch it with. Um, I originally only mined two blocks. One is the the first block is the Genesis block, right? And then I also mined a block on top of that to make sure that everything's working fine. And the way I I launched Litecoin to try to make it as fair as possible is to uh, release the source code and binaries, uh, so applications where you can actually start mining. I did that a week before the actual launch. Uh, but the catch is that with the with the source code and the binary, you can't mine the mainnet Litecoin. You can only mine testnet Litecoin because I withheld the the Genesis block. Right. So the, the hash of the Genesis block is is hard coded in the code, but I withheld the details of the Genesis block, like two constants that you need to know in order for you to actually mine on the mainnet. And what I did was that at launch time I just posted those two constants. And all people had to do was update their config file, restart the client, and would start mining on mainnet right away. Right. So that was one way that I did to try to make it as, as fair as possible. Because some of the coins were launched where 
um, either the binaries won't aren't released like quickly enough, or or the source code wasn't released. So there was no way for people to actually verify the source code or compile binaries from the, for themselves. So it's hard for people unless they want to take the risk to actually start running code that you don't trust. Right. So I tried to make this as fair as possible to make it easy and for anyone to actually start mining the second it was launched. Oh, that's interesting. So let me make sure that I understood this. You, you did, you mined the Genesis block in one additional block just to make sure everything was working correctly. You found that yes, you indeed, it is working correctly and you were able to get 150 coins. So at that point, then you release the source code and the binaries so people could kind of run their little mining machines, I guess, on testnet. And then once they had had an opportunity to make sure that that was working, then what you did was release the details they would know in order to be able to immediately switch to mainnet. Did I understand that? Yeah, that's that's okay. right. And one of the, the reason why I, might, I actually mined two blocks instead of just one was because I accidentally connected my my node to the internet for like a, like an hour or so. And if someone connected to me, they would have downloaded the Genesis block. And this is like some technical thing. So I basically mined another block and locked that in to make sure that no one could actually like secretly mine before uh, the actual launch. So oh. that was the idea, right? So no one could secretly mine before the launch. So when I launched it, I released the constants the two constants to everyone and people can update their software and start mining right away. And it was extremely successful because that also helped protect from 51% attacks. So because no one, first of all, no one could mine before the launch. And second of all, there will be like thousands of people mining at the same time. And it will be hard to overrun that network for any one individual to overrun that network. Oh, wow. And is that how many people you had mining from the start? Uh, From... From the looks of it, yes. From like the hash rate that we saw in the beginning, there were I would say like a couple thousand people. Oh, and wow. it's not it's not a lot, but it's for for the start of a coin, it's pretty good. It's very yeah. Good. And at that time too, when nobody really even knew what all this was. So yeah, the com- the community was small, um, but there was definitely a a healthy community playing around with with all coins. Yeah. The the interesting thing is a lot of coins forked off from Litecoin and copied like Litecoin, right? Um, but very few coins actually copied the way I launched Litecoin. Like people just didn't copy that, and they launched it with without binaries. Or there's a lot of coins that were launched with um, they call like ninja mining, where I've. Yeah, like sometimes they're launched to friends and family only for like the first week. So the creators, friends and families are like mining before everyone else get a chance to mine. That's interesting. Well, I guess you would think that they would have learned from the Tenebrix situation that like if you do that, people are less interested in the coin. But I think people in general are, are greedy, right? Just they, yeah, I mean, in if you look back on it, one of the reasons why Litecoin was successful is, I, I believe, is because of the fair launch, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it's hard to kind of figure out that that's truly the case, right? Oh, like meaning you can't know if the developers. No, no, like, you can't know or? that. You can't know that. That's one of the reasons why Litecoin was successful. Oh, oh, right, right. So, right. yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, so how do you define success? Like, would you say that so far that we're at this moment that it is successful? Like what, what's your goal with Litecoin? Well, it's extremely successful, right? So when, when I've launched Litecoin, it was more just like a fun side project, right? Just something I did on a side for fun. I didn't expect it to become anything big, right? And to put it in perspective, when I first found out about Bitcoin, Bitcoin's market cap was $200 million. When I launched Litecoin, Bitcoin's market cap was around like $100 million. So Litecoin today is $5 billion, right? So it's 50 times as large as what Bitcoin was when it launched, when Litecoin launched. Hmm. 
So, I mean, that's extremely, I have to, I mean, that's, I totally didn't expect that to be the case to, to happen. And at that time, when you say that you launched it as a fun side project, like, what did you imagine people would use it for? Like, did you just think, oh, this is going to be nothing? Or did you have some kind of goal for it or what? Yeah, well, when I launched Litecoin, Bitcoin was still like an unknown quantity, right? Like no one expected, no one knew where Bitcoin was heading, right? It's a decentralized currency that no one's really using for anything um, except for Silk, Silk Road, right? So no one really expected much from Bitcoin and I didn't expect much from Litecoin, right? So when I launched it, one of the things like I kind of saw it being was what I set out initially being like silver to Bitcoin's gold, right? If I saw, I saw Bitcoin as digital gold and I've seen throughout history of people using uh, more than one currency in the, in the case of gold and silver. And I saw like, like when complementing Bitcoin, right? Being kind of a, a cheaper version of Bitcoin where fees will be less and people potentially could use it for more things. Mm. Okay. And when you say silver to Bitcoin's gold, so in the real world, silver has like particular uses. And so when it comes to the digital world, like what would those, what were those uses that you were imagining? I was thinking more along the lines of both gold and silver being used as money and not necessarily the industrial use of silver, which came much later. Right. So being, um, just metals that are um, rare and sought after and has value made gold and silver useful for, for money. Okay. And, and so then like, what would be the different ways that Bitcoin would have, that you were imagining Bitcoin would be used versus Litecoin? Yeah. So uh, Bitcoin would be used for, for larger purchases, right? So, um, fees will be higher on Bitcoin, so it would it wouldn't make sense to buy coffee, for example, on Bitcoin, but you would do so on Litecoin because the fees will be lower and a smaller percentage of the of the actual purchase. The thing with um, with cryptocurrency is that the fees for transactions are based on the size of the transaction, not the amount of the transaction. So if you're sending like a million dollars worth of Bitcoin, it will cost you the same amount of fees. Um, in general, as if you're sending like $5 worth of Bitcoins, right? So when Bitcoin become becomes really popular and people see the value in paying and using it, the fees will, will inherently go up. And we see that, right? When when the blocks are are full, then people are fighting for the block space, which is a valuable commodity. And people are willing to pay more because you're comparing that to like for example, wire transfer, something that takes like a few hours and has all the problems with, with wire transfer and also costs like $30 to do a wire transfer. But if you can send Bitcoin, which is you can send like $10 million worth of Bitcoin and only pay $10 and it's it will confirm in like 10 minutes, that's a very good use case compared to, to wire. So people are willing to pay the $10 for, for fees. So that's why when... That's why you'll see like Bitcoin fees go up because people actually value spending Bitcoin and Litecoin having like a larger block size um, can kind of work alongside that, right? Can complement Bitcoin for smaller purchase purchases. All right. And so actually, like after you created Litecoin, you ended up leaving Google to work at Coinbase. What did you do there? Um, yeah. So in 2013, I decided to kind of go all in on crypto and actually work on cryptocurrency. So I joined Coinbase because I I realized in order for Bitcoin to succeed, it has to be easy to use. Right? It has, there has to be easy on-ramps and off-ramps. And Coinbase was really making it a lot easy for U.S. citizens to, or people in the U.S. to buy and sell Bitcoin. So, yeah, so I decided to, to join them and, and quit Google. All right, we're going to discuss how Charlie famously sold all his Litecoins after the break. But first, a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. Did you know that if money laundering were an economy, its GDP would be the size of Canada's? Large volumes of tainted crypto assets move through financial networks, often below the radar of banks. 
cybercriminals use unregulated crypto exchanges to avoid detection. No wonder governments around the world are rolling out tough new anti-money laundering laws for cryptocurrencies. Complying with those laws isn't easy. Banks and exchanges need the best cryptocurrency intelligence available to avoid penalties. Now you can use the same powerful AML and compliance monitoring tools used by regulators. CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. To learn more, visit cyphertrace.com unchained. At Consensus 2019, hear news, predictions, and emerging trends from trailblazers like Neil Ferguson, Christine Moy, head of J.P. Morgan's blockchain program, Brian Armstrong, the CEO and founder of Coinbase, and others who are leading the way in blockchain and crypto technology. Participate in a two-day hackathon hosted at Microsoft's Tech Center, where hundreds of developers will compete for $30,000 plus in cash prizes and network with executives, developers, founders, regulators, investors, government officials, and more. Get your tickets today, as last year this event hit max capacity, and it's getting close to selling out. Just go to www.consensus2019.com to register. Don't forget to use the code UNCHAINED300 so they know we sent you. Back to my conversation with Charlie Lee. So during this period when you were working at Coinbase, I think there was kind of a a little stretch where you didn't really work on Litecoin. So what made you get more involved again? And when when did you get more involved? Yeah, there's there's actually quite a stretch where I wasn't working that much on Litecoin. I was focused on Bitcoin with Coinbase. And I would say like early 2016, I decided to kind of shift my focus a bit. I saw... uh, kind of a need for me to kind of step back into to start working on Litecoin again. This was because I saw the the Bitcoin having problems with activating SegWit. Um, there was a lot of just misinformation out there about how SegWit is not a good upgrade for Bitcoin. And I figured that there's something I can do about that, right? Being the creator of Litecoin, I can help try to get Litecoin or SegWit activated on Litecoin to kind of prove to the world that this is actually a good upgrade, that it leads to um, awesome things like Lightning Network, and there's nothing to be afraid of, right? There is a lot of just fake news around SegWit. People, for whatever reason, don't want to see SegWit on Bitcoin. And they were just talking about the fact that if you use SegWit addresses, miners can just steal money from it. And it's unsafe to use SegWit, stuff like that. That's just from, if you understand like Bitcoin and SegWit from the technical side of things, you realize immediately that's just like FUD, right? That's uh, people just lying about it, trying to scare people away from it. Yeah. And for listeners, hopefully my listeners know what SegWit is, but in case you don't, and FUD, because, <laughs> you know, SegWit is segregated witness, which was like basically a, a scaling solution for Bitcoin and FUD is fear, uncertainty and doubt, which definitely you should know that term if you're interested in crypto. So at that point, you decided to uh, basically what leave Coinbase and then start working more on Litecoin in order to bring SegWit to Litecoin to show that you know, uh, all the, the, uh, the misinformation about SegWit was not true. Is that what your goal was? Pretty much. And also I wanted to, um, it also, it's good for Litecoin, right? So this upgrade allows, um, makes it possible for, for lightning network to happen. And I realized that scaling on chain is not a solution because it just hurts decentralization. So the solution to scale Bitcoin and Litecoin is to scale on second layers. And Lightning Network is a was an up-and-coming uh, solution that really I thought was awesome for, for helping scaling, scale Bitcoin and Litecoin. So And SegWit was needed for that to happen. Yeah, so in mm-hmm. 2016, I, I told Coinbase I wanted to start working more on Litecoin. And I took, I believe I took three months off to kind of totally work on Litecoin. And then when I came back to Coinbase in like late 2016, I told them I was I wanted to kind of leave Coinbase and focus 100% on Litecoin. 
All right. So that, I guess, must have been, yeah, late 2016. So then a year later is when the crypto markets hit what we now realize was their all-time high. And you famously sold all your Litecoins. Why did you do that? Um, over the, over the, like over 20, 2017, I became a lot more, or 2016 to 2017, I became a lot more influential um, in the space uh, because of my work on Litecoin and SegWit and helping Bitcoin with SegWit. Um, and my Twitter follower account like grew exponentially, kind of tracking the price of everything. Um, <laughs> but I also, I, yeah, throughout that time, I realized that what I say had potentially had quite a bit big influence on on prices, especially Litecoin price. And some of the information, like some of the tweets I posted, people were were questioning my motives, right? Am I saying this because I'm trying to pump the Litecoin price or am I saying this because it's actually good for Litecoin and people are, are, are questioning my motives? And I also kind of felt conflicted because I don't, I don't want, I don't want people to think that I'm, I'm doing this for, for the price or for my own benefit, right? My, my goal for, for everything is to, for Litecoin to succeed is for, for adoption, right? Price doesn't matter in the price doesn't matter, right? It adoption. Yeah. Price would follow adoption, but I shouldn't be focused on price. So after thinking about it for a while, I decided that I kind of don't want the distraction of, of both people thinking I'm doing stuff because I I'm pumping the price for my own benefit. And also because I don't want the kind of the distraction and questioning myself that I'm not doing this for the best for Litecoin, but only because I wanted to, to make more money. So at that point I decided to just sell everything and focus on, on the project and not the price. Well, so the day that you announced that you had sold or donated all your Litecoins. That was the day after Litecoin hit its all-time high. I, I actually checked it on on-chain FX, and it, the day it hit its all-time high was three hundred and fifty-six dollars, and now it's like about sixty-nine. So, how do you feel about that idea that it looks as though you sold at the top and left others holding the bag? Mm, that's. I don't think that's exactly true because I remember after I after I sold, the price kept going up. Right. Oh, so really? I sold that like, oh, yeah. Oh, I, so the day you announced and the day you sold are probably because, so, but yeah, did, maybe, did you announce maybe. the day after you sold? Didn't, didn't it hit like 400? Oh gosh. Like I, I think I sold, yeah, depending on which exchange you look at, oh, but it okay. definitely, it definitely hit like 400. Um, okay. but I sold my last sale was at, was it like 350 or something? Oh, um, okay. But for sure, the timing is is suspect, right? And that's why people are hating, like, kept trolling me about selling at all time high because some people actually thought I caused the whole market to crash, which is wait ridiculous, the whole market or just the Litecoin market? What do you mean by the whole, whole market? market? Well, like I mean, the whole like, crypto market or just Litecoin? Yeah, but but I mean, Litecoin didn't crash more than Bitcoin, right? It's very close. If you look at it today. Um, compared to all time, compared to the day I sold, it hasn't really crashed. Maybe crashed a bit more, right? But not much more, right? So if I if I cause the whole if I cause Litecoin to crash, then I you kind of had to blame, blame me for causing everything to crash. <laughs> and and okay, but basically, like they're saying, like your announcement, right? Because like in your announcement, you kind of implied that you had sold it all on GDAX and it didn't really move the market. So it doesn't sound like it was like a ton of Litecoin. No, it's not, right? So one thing about Litecoin that people don't don't realize is I didn't pre-mine anything, right? So all the Litecoins I own were either mined by myself or bought on an exchange. So I know plenty of people that had a lot more Litecoins than I did. So it's not that unlike people like... Um, Vitalik, who has a lot of Ethereum, or like creators of, of other coins or ICOs that just hold on to a lot of their own coins. I, for, yeah, I didn't have a lot. So it, my selling coins didn't really affect the market. And that's also one of the reasons why I wanted to sell it before I announced it. Right. So if I, if I had announced it, I think the fear of people fearing how many coins I had 
would have caused the price to would have hurt the price a lot more. But by announcing that I already sold and it didn't affect the price, there's no fear that I'm going to sell more later. So I think mm-hmm. that helped. But I think one thing I didn't kind of account for is people are talking about how now that I don't have Litecoin anymore, I don't have skin in the game, right? And people said that they don't believe in Litecoin anymore because I don't own any, which is so stupid in my opinion, right? If if you're not holding on to Litecoin because I don't have any, then you kind of kind of um, the, your reason your reason for holding and using Litecoin is just silly to begin with, right? And I have, and the project is already a failure if that's the case, right? Cool. This is supposed to be a decentralized currency, so just because the creator doesn't hold it anymore shouldn't affect how useful the currency is. So, so okay. I mean, I guess like you know, to my mind, they're just sort of saying, "Hey, incentives exist," and a traditional way we motivate people to work on things is to incentivize them, you know, which is why people get uh, stock options or, you know, equity or whatever. So, mm-hmm. but you're saying, oh, that's the old model. That's like the startup model and it's centralized and in a decentralized world that doesn't matter. Or, I mean, like, what's your take on incentives? Like, don't you agree that kind of to, being- to a certain degree, to a certain degree, I agree, but Unlike other things, like I'm still extremely incentivized to to work on Litecoin. If Litecoin succeeds and does well, I do well, right? Like just but not I'm financially. Not incentive- financially, I'm I'm already fine, right? I don't <laughs> fi- like financially. I, I'm not motivated, right? I'm working harder today than I than last year or the year before, not because I'm financially incentivized. Kind of, I've, I'm working on something I'm passionate about, so I don't need incentives. But people don't realize that, and for for them, it matters. Hmm. All right. Well, one other thing I want to ask you about was you've kind of hinted at, you know, like you have you have, I think, strong notions of fairness. What's your opinion on coins that allocate a percentage of the block reward to the developers of that coin? Uh, let me see. So. I think as long as they're upfront about it, it's okay, right? So people who are invested investing in these coins, they know that a certain percentage of block rewards are going out to fund developers. And I think that's fine. And in some cases, it's really needed, right? One thing about Litecoin is it's kind of hard to find developers because you we don't have a lot of money to pay for these developers. So we're raising like the Litecoin Foundation, we work on raising money and using money to pay for developers. But unlike ICOs or other projects, we just don't have millions sitting from selling our ICO tokens to fund these developers. So yeah, I think projects that do that, um, it's kind of needed. But I think for coins like Bitcoin and Litecoin, if you really want to become like decentralized money, there ha- there can't be any centralizing kind of actions like using mining rewards to pay for developers. So how does the Litecoin Foundation raise funds then? We sell merchandises. We work off of donations. Um, we try to be as uh, efficient, as lean as possible. So what is the annual budget? Um, annual budget is like less than 100000 Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we'll see. Yeah, when we, we have a huge... <laughs> um, we have a huge uh, network of volunteers, right? People who are passionate about Litecoin and sound money and Bitcoin that volunteer their time and we don't pay them anything. And I'm very grateful to, to these volunteers that help us out a lot. Hmm. Yeah, this is really interesting because during that ICO phase or the FAT protocols phase, or not FAT protocols, but yeah, it's, it's really... Uh, it's it's even before the word ICO was used and when people were talking about app coins. I feel like uh-huh. at that time, everyone was like, oh, like the point is you, you know, do a crowdfund with these tokens and it incentivizes those people to grow the network. However, <laughs> what we've seen is those were just speculators who frankly, aren't really incentivized to grow the network. Like a lot of these people aren't using these coins. They're just holding on to them. 
Correct, and, and they flip so, it as soon as they can, right? Yeah, and it's fascinating how you guys don't have that mechanism, and yet you do have volunteers who, uh, I guess, passionately believe in Lycoin and are trying to help promote it. So hmm, I think basically this means that all the uh, crypto economics theorists, who many of whom I featured on my show, because yes, I do find these ideas fascinating. Um, <laughs> probably a lot of their theories have been proven incorrect. So we will <laughs> we will have to see what actually turns out to work. Well, at least in the case of Litecoin, right? Litecoin is is much different. At least the project, um, the foundation is very different from other other coins and foundations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you talked about, you know, that early vision for Litecoin. What is your vision now? Is it different or is it the same? Like, what do you imagine it will be used for now? Or, you know, what are the ways in which you're trying to get it used? It's very similar, right? I still see, I've always seen like Litecoin as a complement to Bitcoin. Um, I see Bitcoin still being used. Like Litecoin is not out there to replace Bitcoin. Unlike a lot of other coins that try to say they're the they're better than Bitcoin, I think it's it's trade offs. Right? A lot of people don't talk about the trade offs. People talk about how they have um, fees are cheaper, right? Bitcoin Cash constantly talks about, or people people in support of Bitcoin Cash constantly talks about how um, Bitcoin Cash transaction fees are like a hundredth of that of Bitcoin. But you get what you pay for, right? The Bitcoin security is more than a hundred times that of Bitcoin Cash, right? Maybe the hash rate is not more than a hundred, but the fact that Bitcoin's um, security is like you can't you can't attack Bitcoin, whereas you can easily attack Bitcoin Cash. So that matters a lot, right? So that's why the fees are less. And same for Litecoin, right? Litecoin is cheaper, um, and the security is less than Bitcoin. So if I if I'm sending like millions of dollars worth of Litecoin, it's not as secure as sending million dollars of Bitcoin. So people who are actually moving lots of money, they would want to use Bitcoin. And I think that's fine. I think Litecoin can complement Bitcoin perfectly fine. And with um, with Lightning Network, one of the reasons why I think uh, Lightning Network is really good for both Bitcoin and Litecoin, not only is, does it help at scale, it can also add like cross-chain atomic swaps where people can easily, in a decentralized manner, swap between two different coins instantly, right? I think things like technologies like that, we haven't really seen the true potential of that. Like I'm excited for what, like what we'll see, what we'll see there. Yeah. I just, the concept of it is so cool. One thing though is, so if the main purpose of Litecoin is for payments, why would someone use Litecoin over a stable coin? It depends, right? So it, depends on how easy it is for you to get that stable coin, right? And the stable coin in the end is still likely to be controlled, right? By governments or, or companies. So you're still at the whim of that central centralized party, right? Whereas Litecoin is decentralized like Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, I mean, stable that, you know, there's kind of a spectrum of how stable or how centralized stable coins are. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but then. But I the the decentralized stable coins have not proven to work yet, right? P possibly that we'll find one that is that works perfectly, but the the kind of the attack surface for that is potentially pretty large, and it's unclear if they will actually work long term. We've seen many um, algorithmic stable coins fail over time. Yeah, or be shut down by the SEC. <laughs> Well, if they're truly decentralized, then they can't be shut down, right? But yeah, but there's also a possibility of them getting shut down, right? So like, for example, Tether could be shut down and also they are, you have to trust the company that they're not, they have enough money to back their reserves yeah, or enough yeah. reserves to back the coins, right? So, and then also with with most of these stable coins, they're still, they're not censorship resistant, Right. That's one thing about cryptocurrency. One of the values of cryptocurrency is the censorship resistant part. Right. I would say that's that's what gives cryptocurrency most of its value. Well, what about DAI? I, I don't think that's censorable. However, it's not very stable because as we've seen, it hasn't been able to keep the dollar peg. But that aside, 
I don't think that. <laughs> I don't think that one is is um censorable, right? I'm not too sure about that, but the I think it's also a bit. There's it's centralized, right? It's not perfectly decentralized. I mean, I guess nothing is perfectly decentralized, but there's um centralized aspect of it. Um, I'll look into die more. I honestly don't know too much about it. Um, I'm not really that excited about about stable coins. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Cause that was all the rage last year and into this year. So we'll see if you were right. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but it's funny. It's funny. You talk about stable coins that that is not actually stable. So what's the point? <laughs> I know, I know, but I, I have to admit, I'm a little bit obsessed with die. My listeners will know that from listening yeah. to my show. Yeah. I've, I did a, a really, really long double episode with, Rune Christensen of MakerDAO, which mm-hmm. is, you know, for the DAI stablecoin, because it's a very complicated system and just kind of endlessly fascinating. But anyway, so speaking of spending Litecoins, where can people spend their Litecoins right now? A lot of places, right? So Litecoin is obviously not as as uh, everywhere as, as Bitcoin. Even then, Bitcoin's not, you can't really spend it everywhere either. So um, you can spend Litecoin on um, pretty much everything, right? So like plane tickets, um, meals, buying stuff online. Um, we have like whole directory of places you can you can spend Litecoin. But I think the the general idea is just to have more and more places that you can spend um, in e- for Bitcoin and Litecoin, right? So I think in order for it truly to be successful, is you can just spend it anywhere, right? It's kind of like Kind of like if you look at Visa and MasterCard, like credit cards, you can pretty much spend it anywhere, right? And we want to get there. But it's a it's a chicken-egg problem. Right? People, uh, for one thing, because the volatility of the, of, the, of the currency, a lot of people don't want to spend it because they, they think that it's going to be worth more in the future. But that, that problem, I think, will solve itself over time as it becomes less volatile. And you need more merchants to accept it before people can spend it anywhere and you need more people to spend it before merchants realize the benefit of accepting it. So it's a, it's a tough nut to crack. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Coinbase went down this route with Bitcoin where they tried the merchants thing and it didn't work out. So like, why, you know, why do you think that strategy will work for Litecoin? I think when Coinbase and BitPay did that, it's uh, a bit too early. I think we need like technologies like Lightning Network to make payments make more sense, and you need the the price to become less volatile for payments to to succeed. So um, when Coinbase and BitPay were doing it, it was in what twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. I think it was too early. Right? Yeah. So well, it'll, I don't know. It'll, I it'll feel like we could, Yeah, I feel like we could make that argument now still, and and not only that, but this goes back to my question about the stable coins. But um, but anyway, actually, let's move on because also Litecoin is looking into adding privacy. Uh, I saw you mention that confidential transactions was one technology technology you were looking at, and also the Mimblewimble protocol. Are you planning on making Litecoin a privacy coin, or will this be optional privacy? And and like with you know both of these technologies, like are you going to give users a choice of which type of privacy technology, or what's going on? Sure. So the reason why I'm looking into it is I realized that one of the properties of good money that's, I think the only property of good sound money that's missing from Bitcoin and Litecoin is fungibility, right? The ability to treat every single coin um, exactly the same as every other coin, right? We don't have that today. If I send you some Litecoins or if I like, if I send you two different Litecoin, they're they're different because of their history, which is public on the blockchain. So you can see which coin, where the coins came from, and you can use that to to discriminate against one or the other of the coins. Whereas like cash, for example, is fungible. If I go to a store and I want to pay something with twenty dollar bills, I have two to choose from. It doesn't matter which one I give the the clerk. It's it acts the same, right? It's money you want. For good money, for money to be like a good form of money, you want it to be fungible. And for for cryptocurrency, fungi- privacy is required for fungibility, right? If there's if you don't have privacy, 
then you can always discriminate between two different coins. So in order, so I realized that I want to kind of add more fungibility to Litecoin. And in that sense, I want to add more privacy. And the things I was looking at was confidential transaction and also Mimblewimble. Mimblewimble is actually um, also has confidential transaction. In it. So it's like, it's pretty much like confidential transaction plus coin join. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we're exploring right now. And the current thought is to add it as a soft fork and also opt in. So you can opt into using Mimblewimble, uh, moving your coins to kind of the Mimblewimble side of things into the Mimblewimble extension block. Yeah, so it we'll, we'll see where we go with that. Um, but still work in progress. Still a lot of work to be done. So will that be like Zcash, the way that on the on the Zcash blockchain you can see some transactions, but other ones you can't? Similar, but it's more you can think of it as moving your coins to kind of a side chain that's kind of attached. Does that make sense? So you're you can move into the Mimble Wimble space. Once you're there, everything is is private. Okay. Um, and then you can also move out, right? You can pull the coins out of the Mimblewimble space. Oh, wow. All right. And so are you definitely implementing that or you're just exploring it right now? We're exploring it. Um, I really want to do it. Um, in the end, uh, we'll see if the community seems seems like seems to like the idea. Um, so once we have a good grasp of where, like, where, what we want to do, uh, we'll put together a proposal for the community review. Mm, all right. Well, we'll have to keep, I'll have to keep tabs on that because I find the Mimblewimble technology fascinating. I just did a couple episodes on Grin and Beam and yeah, super cool stuff. So recently I did see some tweets that were critical of you and Litecoin and I wanted to get your response to them. Sure. You probably saw them. Uh, Mike Novogratz of Galaxy Digital tweeted, Gold has an $8.5 trillion market cap. Silver is $15 billion. That is 0.17%. BTC has a $90 billion market cap. And LTC is $5.7 billion, which is 6.4% of BTC. And then he said, silver is at least useful for industrial production. LTC is a glorified test net for BTC. I don't get this rally. Sell LTC, buy BTC. So that's one. And then the other one was like a shorter one. Tushar Jain of Multicoin Capital said, LTC isn't the silver to Bitcoin's gold, but the fool's gold. What's your response to tweets like this? Well, I, I did respond kind of to to those tweets. Basically, there's there's more value to LTC than to Litecoin than just being a testnet, right? Being a glorified testnet. But I also do, and also like the comparison between gold and silver is not like, you can't take it too too literally, right? It's just because silver is a certain percentage of gold doesn't mean that Litecoin has to be that percentage. Otherwise, it's overvalued or undervalued. I think that's kind of silly to, <laughs> to go to that extent of saying that because... Yeah, because Litecoin ratio with Bitcoin is less than or is more than silver's ratio to gold, it must be overvalued. I think I can't imagine why anyone would make that comparison. Um, <laughs> well, the digital world has to be exactly <laughs> like the real world. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funny, uh, but also I do question like the motivation behind some of these tweets. Uh, for example, uh, Multicoin Capital is has publicly said that they're shorting Litecoin, right? So of course they, every chance they get, they will bash Litecoin. They even released an article or like a whole analysis of why they think Litecoin uh, should go to zero, right? So it's to their, yeah, they have skin in the game to for Litecoin to to not succeed. So I don't really put much weight into their their posts or their tweets, and I don't I don't know if Mike Novogratz has any has shorted Litecoin or anything like that. Um, but you don't know, right? So I, I don't put too much value into people hating on Litecoin. So you're the managing director of the Litecoin Foundation. 
How does governance work within the foundation and how much weight do you have within it as the creator of Litecoin? In, in terms of what? I mean, the, for, for the foundation, I, I'm the managing director. We have a few directors and we, we talk about stuff, right? So we, we respect each other and there's, no, there's really no formal, formal process of how decisions are made. It's kind of made within, this, within the uh, directors. And I think just being the creator, um, I, I definitely have a lot of influence, right? Because people trust me and um, they trust my view right, of things. And that, that helps a lot. Um, but in terms of like, in the end, Litecoin is still a, a decentralized currency, right? So the, the Litecoin Foundation is kind of a centralizing company, but we, we can't unilaterally make decisions for everything, right? So in the end, the community also has a huge voice in how Litecoin, uh, what happens to Litecoin. For example, before the Litecoin Foundation, we had uh, something called the Litecoin Association, right? It's um, it's also a centralizing, uh, a central company or foundation that was there to help kind of promote and help uh, work on Litecoin and they weren't doing a very good job. And that's why we formed the Litecoin foundation to take over and do a better job. So if, if one day the Litecoin foundation is like not doing a good job, someone else can, can kind of create another foundation to help out. It's similar to how like the Bitcoin foundation, a lot of people think the Bitcoin foundation is not really doing anything. Right. But they have the name, the Bitcoin foundation. Yeah, I have not heard anything that they're up to for the longest time. I sometimes <laughs> forget they even exist. Yeah, but they were a huge deal when they first formed, right? Right. Right. Yeah. I wasn't around back then, but I can tell from stuff I've read. So, um, all right. Uh, you grasped the concept of cryptocurrency early and kind of the potential there. So what do you think the world will look like in the future if crypto does become widely used? I think that we won't even know that you're using cryptocurrency in the back end. So, yeah, so I think if cryptocurrency really does become successful, um, becomes used by, become used by everyone in the world, you won't even realize it, right? So you, I think the, the point the whole point of this for money is transfer of value, right? All you care about is you're transferring value from your wallet to the merchant's wallet and they give you the item that you bought. And in the future, that could happen with you sending them money and you don't realize that in the back end, it's actually Bitcoin or, or Litecoin or anything, right? And that's when it really becomes successful. So you think it's really just about payments and like machines making those payments happen in a way that's more efficient, but you're not aware of it. Yeah. So there will be, yeah. And some people call like Bitcoin, the kind of the internet of money or just um, money that can be API for money. Right. So you can machines, AI or you or humans will be using it and you won't, it's all about storing the value and spending the value. And that's all that matters in the end. All right. Well, we will see. Um, we will see if this comes to fruition. Uh, so it's been so great having you on Unchained. I did mean to ask a question about Magical Crypto Funds, but we basically ran out of time. So where can people learn more about you, Magical Crypto Friends, and also Litecoin? Yeah, so we, we I'm doing, um, I'm one of four people on the Magical Crypto Friends podcast. It's me, Samson Mao, um, Fluffy Pony, or Ricardo Spangdi, and Whale Panda. You can check us out at Magical Crypto Friends. I think it's MagicalCryptoFriends.com. Um, or you can find us on YouTube. And we're also doing a, um, a conference, Magical Crypto Conference in New York. Uh, in May 11 and 12, um, come visit us there. I think it's, good. it's an awesome conference. Um, and you can also follow me on Twitter, Satoshi Light. Yeah, it's, I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> All right. And also, can I have a press ticket to Magical Crypto Conference? Uh, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Harsh. 
Harsh. Yeah, we. Um, I actually, I actually have to pay for my own. Like, I want to buy a ticket for a friend, so I have to pay for it myself. Oh, there literally like aren't press tickets. Um, you have to talk to Will Panda. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in charge of press tickets, but like we, yeah, we try to be very as fair as possible and um, possibly. Oh, okay. <laughs> How about that? Okay, okay. Better than I guess- no. I guess I'll contact him and find out. He, of course, amongst the three of you, he's the only one I don't know. But anyway, okay, I'll have you well, put in a good word for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he knows who you are. All right. Thanks so much for, well, actually, also, Charlie, thank you for joining us. Sure. Yeah, for sure. It was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Charlie and Litecoin, check out the show notes inside your podcast player. If you are not yet signed up for my weekly newsletter, go to unchainedpodcast.com right now to get my thoughts on the top crypto stories of the week. And be sure to check out our new channel on YouTube. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Rayleigh Gallipoli, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, Daniel Ness, and Rich Straffolino. Thanks for listening.